door, as you, I've, I've got a whole bunch of different messages here. I just didn't know what God wanted to say. It's been a really difficult week, I've found, to try to... You know, some weeks, uh, it's nice and easy, and I feel early in the week, God speaks to me, and I know what he wants me to share, what's on his heart, what I believe is on his heart. And uh, so in faith, I'll present what I believe the Lord is saying. There are other weeks where I, I, I feel like the, God doesn't necessarily give me a particular thing for that particular weekend, but I have some messages there that seem to, to fit in with certain themes that are going on, so I'll uh, present those. Um, and then there's this week where I had absolutely nothing whatsoever. And yesterday, I just had this thought pop into my head. And I want to share that thought uh, along the lines of that thought this morning. Um, it, it's, I, I don't have much, so we could be over in about five minutes. Um, some of the peanut gallery are clapping and cheering about that. I understand that. I've, I've sat in churches too, where people have preached on for an hour and... and, and you wish that they had have stopped at five minutes. But I've also been there when they preached for 10 and I wish they had gone on for an hour. So I'm hoping today will be one of those maybe 10 and you'll be wishing it went on for longer. We'll, we'll see. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 to 13. We all know this story, but I want to read it out. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. It says, On the day of Pentecost, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation this morning. By the way, Luke, can't you get that working? No, no, I'm happy about that. I don't feel like such a failure now. If even Mr. Mr. Magic Sound Man can't get that working, I don't feel so bad about a couple of weeks ago. Anyone that was here would realise that I was here setting up and I couldn't get any technology work. So we had Freddie Flintstone Church. There was no microphones. There was no amplification. There was no words, no nothing. So I appreciate the fact that you've been humble enough to leave that black and not cover it, mate. I feel normal. Thank you. Acts. Hey? Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection, the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm in the skies above them, and it filled the house where they were meeting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. Godly Jews from many nations were living in Jerusalem at the time, when they heard this sound, they came running to see what it was all about, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And it goes on, and it lists some of the nations. <coughs> they were beside themselves saying, how can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee. The, 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 the disciples were considered a little bit backwards. Most of them were southern Galilean. Uh, in our day, it would be the hillbilly type, back hills sort of people, not the most intelligent and, and these people have all gathered for the Passover. And they've come from all these different nations. It goes on, it says Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya towards Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs. There's a massive amount of people here, and they've all come to Jerusalem to celebrate this Jewish feast, the Passover. Very strategic that, that this would be the first time that the good news and the birthing of the New Testament church would take place in this environment. Because you've got people from all around the world. Missions today is really about 
training people up and we send them to all the nations of the earth. They go to Asia and to Europe and to all these other countries. What God did here, strategically, was incredibly intelligent. He actually got the gospel presented for the first time when he brought all the nations of the earth together to one place. Saved a lot of airfares. Saved a lot of money. He just brought them to him. And so at this particular strategic time, the Spirit of God falls. And the Bible says that people from all nations... Now, one of the beautiful things about this is that you can guarantee what would have happened from that place. As these Cretans and Arabs and Phoenicians and all these people left the Passover feast and journeyed back to their nations, what do you think they would have been talking about on their trade routes on the way home? Well, a funny thing happened... Were you there? A funny thing happened the other day in Jerusalem. There's these bunch of southern Galilean hillbillies... (laughs) And they were, there was about 120 of them. We know that because in Acts chapter 1, it tells us that there was, the number of believers was 120 and they were all gathering together. And it must have been an amazing sight. Something like tongues of flames of fire just came and rested upon them. We're talking 120 flames. That's a bushfire in my books. 120 individual pillars of fire came and rested upon them. Now, when we read the rest of the the New Testament and we we get into the story of Acts, Acts Acts covers about the first 30 years of the New Testament church. It covers a fair span of time. It covers about 30 years. (laughs) And when we read the rest of it, it really focuses primarily on two people. It focuses primarily on the apostle uh, Peter and what Peter did. And then it transitions from there and the primary character actually becomes the apostle Paul through to the the end of the book. So we hear primarily the story of two men of God. That's what we're primarily getting. It's a broad brush because a lot of the things that were involved in the moments in the book of Acts, it highlights significant periods in the church. It's not so much about the actions that took place. It's more focusing on particular stages of growth and periods of transition in the life of the church. Um, if If you study any book of the Bible, I would encourage you as a New Testament believer, to get, even if you've got to get some books on it, get into the book of Acts. It's the New Testament version of Joshua. Now, Joshua is, they, 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 they're set free, they're out of bondage, they've come out of Egypt. Then Joshua comes and they cross the promised land and they take ground. And that's what the book of Acts is. It's about the New Testament church. We're crossing that, 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 that rivers of the Jordan. The church is birthed and now they're taking ground and they're going out into all the nations of the earth. And it starts with all the nations being gathered together. And these, these guys were walking home on their, on their trade routes going, these pillars of fire felt, it was amazing. And these guys, these guys just started mumbling. It was just a chaotic, massive noise. But you know what's funny about it? One guy next to me, I, I, I swear I understood a couple of words here. So I got a bit closer. He's speaking my language. He's speaking my language. I don't know how this guy could have learnt that language. You know, And this would have been some of the conversations on the way home. And when they got home, what do you think some of the conversation may have been with their family and with their friends, those that didn't travel, those that didn't travel in for the Passover? I reckon it would have come up at, at the local pub around the beer for some of the men. It might have come up at the marketplace where they were selling. It might have come up down by the river as the ladies got together to wash their clothes. And one lady goes, you know what? How was your trip to Jerusalem last week? How was the Passover festival? It's usually a pretty good time. Yeah, it was a great time. But I'm going to tell you, something amazing happened. Really? What happened? Well, there were these southern Galilean dudes and these tongues of fire rested upon them and it was just this massive noise. 
I'm sure I heard one person, a couple of words sounded familiar. So I went over in that general direction. They're speaking my language. They were talking my language. I understood what these guys were saying. It would have been an amazing thing to witness. It would have been an amazing thing to be there. If we go back to Luke, the book of Luke, Jesus says to the disciples, wait in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem and you will receive power from on high. Everyone know that verse? Luke 24, 40 something. Wait in Jerusalem and you will receive power from on high. So these disciples are doing what Jesus told them to do. They're waiting in Jerusalem. Two weeks ago I spoke about waiting. But it was all about what happens when we wait from an internal personal perspective. Jesus told the disciples to wait because what was about to happen to them was not about them. It was not about them. It was about the rest of the world. The Holy Spirit came upon them, not for themselves, but for others. As soon as the Spirit fell upon them, the very first thing they did was they began to proclaim the good news of Jesus to people from all over the world. The very first thing that the New Testament church was empowered to do was to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. It was the very first thing they were empowered to do. It was the number one priority. It was the first thing that, 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 that Jesus said to them, wait, because in order to do that effectively, you're going to need to be empowered by me. You've walked with me. You've even, they've even seen the resurrected Jesus. These guys had seen Jesus resurrected bodily form in front of them. But he said to them, it's still not enough. What I'm calling you to do, to actually reach the world, you're going to need something extra outside of yourself. You're going to need my power to come upon you in order to enable you to effectively communicate me with the world around you. The very first thing that they did was they preached the gospel. I have a concern at the moment. I have a concern that we can so easily get distracted by so many things. Election times are always a funny time for me. I don't care about which way you, you, you vote. But what I notice happens, and I've been involved in ministry now for 20-something years, and around election time, something funny happens in ministry circles. I get all these emails emailed to me. And they come from all kinds of organisations and groups. Well-meaning, wonderful, God-fearing, believing ministries and groups. And they're straight away telling me, this person wants to legalise gay marriage. So let's come out against gay marriage. Let's put our energy and our passion into going hard at what we're against, being vocal about what we're against and speaking out against. This person over here wants to do this. So let's sign a petition to show that we are against and we are against and we're this. And so much time and energy... And prayer meetings. We're going to get together, hold a prayer meeting in the middle of town and we're going to pray against this. We're going to pray against that. 
Now, I want you to please hear my heart in what I'm saying. I'm not making a judgment call on any of the particular topics or any of the particular issues that are being raised. I get the emails and I look and I go, I actually agree with where you're going with this. I agree with the angle you're coming from. My fear and my concern is that these things become such big distractions that take our prayer time and our focus and our attention away from the very thing that is meant to be the primary factor and the primary purpose of the church. And that is that we win people to the Lord. I could stand there and get in the face of homosexuals all I want. I can placard them. Or, um, you know, prostitutes. I can placard them. And I can, can pray against them. And I can do all this stuff. But what I found is when I start praying against a particular group of people, my heart grows hard and cold towards that group of people. All of a sudden I forget that prostitute, that homosexual, is created in the image of God. They're loved by God. If they surrendered their life to Jesus, they will be no different to me. They may still struggle with a particular sin. But I'm not going to put a stairway, a hierarchy of sins in my world. This sin is worse than any other. You know, if you commit this sin, you're worse than this one who commits this sin. I read in the book of James where James says, if you break one law, you've broken them all. You're guilty of breaking every law of God. We've got to be careful that we don't get distracted away. Um, Matthew chapter 24. I want to read... Chapter 24 through... I've got to make it big. I haven't got my glasses on. Verse 3 through to verse 14. Here's what Jesus said when his disciples spoke to him about the end times, coming closer towards the return of Christ. They asked him, when's this going to happen? When are you going to come back? Here's what he said. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world. Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, or I am the Christ, is the, another translation. Basically, I am the anointed one. I am anointed of God. You know? Look, there, are, there have been in church history hundreds, thousands of people that have come claiming to be the anointed one. And I'm not just talking about the David Koreshes and these people that have gone and caused mass destruction and death, but I believe that the people can claim to be anointed ones and twist doctrines of God and take people down paths, take them so far to the point where they fall off the edge of the cliff and these people walk away laughing, rubbing their hands together. There are many people that come claiming to be sent from God and claiming to be anointed and called of God and so on. And you know what? Expect it. There have been, there are right now, and there will be. It's going to happen. Jesus said these are parts of what's going to happen. He said they'll deceive many people. And on top of that, you're going to hear of wars and threats of wars. Well, we're seeing that, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That word nation there, I think it's the Greek word ethnos, which means ethnic groups. So it's not just talking about Australia who's going to war against New Zealand. It's ethnic groups, and we're seeing that happening right now. We're seeing 
in Africa is a classic uh, place where you're seeing this particular tribe against this particular tribe of people. Uh, we're seeing it in, 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 in uh, America where you're seeing the African-Americans and they're fighting against the, the Anglo. Um, uh, and it's happening all around the place. Ethnic groups and, and these divisions coming between ethnic groups. We're seeing bits and pieces of it here in our own country now with ethnic groups banding together, forming big street gangs and going around doing their stuff and fighting against this group, against this... It's happening. There'll be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of birth pains with more to come. I don't want to focus on all that. I want to move on to this. Then you'll be arrested. You'll be persecuted and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. How many of you know Christianity is not popular anymore? It's just not. It's not popular anymore. Ten years ago, when I would travel, I would find a Gideon's Bible in every hotel room I go to. You know, in the last few years, I've travelled to some places, not all, some, and I haven't found a Gideon's in there. That's, that's strange to me. It's strange to me to go into a hotel room and not find a Gideon's Bible. Either somebody's stolen it because they're so anti the word of God, or the hotel management have said, no, we don't want to offend anyone. You know, I've been flying since I was about 19, different places. It's only in the last... A handful of years that I've noticed these things called prayer rooms. Anyone notice those? Airports have now got prayer rooms. You notice that? You go, to, you go to a major airport and there'll be prayer rooms. You know, this country was founded on Christian values. It was founded on a foundation of the Bible. And for nearly 200 years, they haven't felt they have a prayer room. But now all of a sudden, because of the change in political climate, what's going on around the world, we have to have prayer rooms now. And if you walk into those prayer rooms, I'll feel like the odd one out. It's happening. We're being despised. The word of God is being taken out of schools. It's being taken out of, of, of public proclamation. You used to, uh, you know, when I, when we used to do a lot of street preaching and, and, and things like that. Years ago when I first got saved, I used to get up on park benches and go, oh, Jesus saved my life. I'm not saying it's the best way to do it, but I was young, zealous, and, 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 and wanted people to experience what I had experienced in God. And so I would get out there and, you know, it's so hard now. In a lot of places, it's almost impossible to get a permit from the council to do anything that has anything to do with religion now, particularly Christianity, particularly Christianity. Many will turn away from me. Many will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. What's he saying? He's saying people that actually have love. They'll grow cold. He's not talking about people that never had love in the first place. He's saying people that had love will get distracted. Their love will grow cold. Maybe they'll be more focused on fighting against issues. They'll lose the the, the primary ingredient. They'll lose the key factor that Jesus Christ died on a cross for people, human beings. He died on a cross so human beings could be reconciled to the Father. Not necessarily so human beings could be sin-free. Not so that human beings could all of a sudden press a button, we're perfect now, and I don't sin, and I don't make mistakes, and I don't have bad thoughts every now and then, I don't argue with my wife every now and then, I don't get mad at my kids. That's called the process of outworking your salvation, where God does things in my life and and helps me to grow, mature, and so on. But I'm going to get to heaven still with a certain degree of stuff undealt with. It's going to happen. Because I'm still in the world, even though I'm not of the world. Because I still have this battle of the flesh inside of me and the spirit inside me. I've still got two muscles in me trying to vie for power. I've got an old man and I've got a new man. It's all in the, in the word of God. So with all this going on, 
People are what matters. People are what's important. People are are the focus. That's what the cross was about. It was about people. And he says here that the love of many will grow cold. And I can see that happening. I cringe when I see Christians placarding. uh, You don't see it so much now anymore, but placarding out the front of, of an abortion clinic. And young girls walking in to have that procedure and Christians yelling at them, you're going to hell, you're a murderer. Tell me that that's not coming from a cold heart. How can a person with love say that? How can a person with love in their heart look at a homosexual and go, you're out of hell? How can a person with the love of Christ look at a prostitute and attack that woman for her life choice without having any compassion or care or desire to get alongside her and go, let's talk about what led you to this because you've got more value than that. You're worth more than that. You're worth so much. That the the greatest price of all time that could ever be paid for anything was paid for you. It's about people. It's about people. And we've got to be careful that we don't get sidetracked and drawn down alleyways that lead us to all the things that we're against and we forget what we are for. And that is first and foremost, we are for people. And we are for them experiencing that reconciliation with God that we have felt. The, the wall of separation coming down when we bow our knee to Jesus. And we feel the guilt and the inferiorities and the insecurities and those things begin to lift. And we take that first big breath of fresh air and go, wow, now this is living. Jesus said this is going to happen. Love will grow cold. Watch this. Sin will be rampant everywhere. The love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. That sounds to me like Jesus is saying the New Testament church age will close with the same focus as what it opened with. It started with the Holy Spirit coming upon 120 people. And the first thing they did was they began to proclaim the good news of Jesus. But they didn't just say it rhetorical, read-off palm cards. They spoke and communicated to people in a language that each individual could understand. There are people in your world that you have the ability, God wants to give you the ability to speak to them the good things of God in a language they understand. That might be sitting them down, as happened to me before I got saved. A man sat me down on a roundabout, looked me in the eye and he said, Alan, your life's a waste. You're a mess. You're going nowhere. You're a failure. He gave it to me. But you know what? That was the language that I spoke in my world at that time and it went in. It penetrated to me. And I knew what he was saying was right. I'm not saying you go and do that to your people. What I'm saying is we wait on God and we ask God for the power from heaven. Give us the ability to communicate the good news, the love, the grace, compassion, the mercy of God to people outside the kingdom in a way that they will understand, not in a way that doesn't have to be offensive, doesn't have to be uh, weird. God has keys. He empowers his people to communicate the good news. And we need to wait on God. We need to ask God afresh for that power. This was not the first time that the disciples... I don't want to get into all this now, but you go back to John. The disciples already received the Holy Spirit. This is an empowering. It's the Spirit of God coming upon them, not dwelling inside of them. Ephesians says we are sealed 
with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is in us. When we confess Christ as our Lord and we come to Him, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. We belong to God. Nothing can change that. Go back in John. And the disciples are standing there with the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus is talking to them and he says to them, Receive my spirit. And then he breathed upon them, the Bible says. When you look at that in the Greek, they were actually received the spirit. They were born again. The spirit indwelled them. And the spirit indwells you and indwells me. But something extra happened on the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came upon them and empowered them. And it wasn't for them. It was for a lost and a dying and a hurting world. Let me ask you a question. How many of us here are fans of Jesus and how many of us here are followers? There's a big difference. I'm a fan of the West Tigers. When they perform, I want to see it. What happens outside of that, I don't care. But I want to be there when they perform. And so many Christians want to be around God when he's performing. Where are the miracles? The miracles are happening over in this church, so I'm going to leave my church, run over here, because I heard there's miracles. Oh. And then when the world dries up there, I've heard this church two hours up the road, there's miracles. I'm going over here, I'm going over here. I just want to see it. I'm a big fan of Jesus and big fan of the Holy Spirit, big fan of miracles, big fan of signs and wonders. I'm a fan. Yet when God empowered the early church, he empowered them for witness, not for themselves. He empowered them so they would follow him. Where is he? He's out there amongst the drug addicts. He's out there amongst the prostitutes, the downtrodden, the broken families. He's out there amongst those people just like Jesus was physically when he came. He's out there amongst the tax collectors. He's out there amongst these people wanting to move, wanting to do things. But he uses human beings. He uses followers. By taking us by the hand and going, I'm coming over here. Are you prepared to come with me? And if you resist and don't want to, he'll let go of your hand and find someone else. I'm not going over there because I'm against what they represent. Well, you know what? Who cares? God's for what they represent because when God looks at them, he sees, you know what, that looks so familiar. That's right, I formed you in my image. That's why it looks familiar. There's a bit of dust on there, needs to be cleaned away. A few cobwebs, there's a few chinks there that I might need to... But at the end of the day, I, I recognise you because, yeah, you bit of me in you. Unredeemed as it might be, but it's a little bit of me inside of you. So many people, we forget that the power of God that comes upon us is for the sake of reaching a lost and dying world. The Spirit empowered 120 people and they went out and they took that gospel of the kingdom of God. I've got some friends of mine. I don't know if any of you keep up to date with what's going on around the world. Who's aware of the Azusa Street revival? Who's ever heard of Azusa Street? The turn of the century. Holy Spirit fell in Azusa Street in the States. A little barn, a guy by the name of William Seymour, uh, an African-American pastor. He was, uh, uh, you read his story, it's quite amazing. He was a, not the most well-educated guy, but incredible heart after God, a passion for God. And he wanted, he wanted the reality of God, not just the theory. He wanted the reality of God. And at the turn of the century, 1900, or 1901, an amazing move of God began in Azusa Street. And it's known as the birthing of modern Pentecostalism. That's what the Azusa Street revival was. It was when Pentecostalism, the, the, the reviving again of the gifts of the Spirit, the reviving again of the power of God, the healing, the miracles, the signs, wonders. It, was, it, it all gets traced back to around there where it was all brought back to the attention and, and the whole Pentecostal movement has sort of come out of there with its different branches. 
Um, a few weeks ago, they celebrated 100 years of Azusa Street. Anyone been following that? No? Massive, massive, massive rally. Get on YouTube and type in Azusa. It's called Azusa Now. Type in, you'll see hundreds of thousands. I had a friend of mine, a couple of mates of mine there, and he went to a worship service and he just did this with his phone. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And on the stage, it would be South Korean believers leading everyone in worship, you know? And people from all walks of life there. And they had some you know, big keynote speakers and all this sort of stuff. Looked like an amazing time. But what was interesting, though, is my friend um, made this statement. An Aussie bloke. He said it was wonderful being there, but he said my fear and my concern as I walked around and talked to people and got in amongst it, he said people were more excited about the concept of revival than they were about the person of Jesus. People got more excited about the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the potential revival of all that stuff. Take them back to your church and see great things happen in your church. But he said there wasn't, there didn't seem to be a lot of passion and energy and talk and stuff about we've got to take this out there to the world. We've got to take this to people that don't know Christ. You know, I think church can be like that. I think we can, we've got to guard our own hearts in that area. We can sometimes get more, more excited about the worship, good worship, than we can about Jesus. We can get more excited about a good message than we can about the person of Jesus. We've got to watch that. Worship is not God. Preaching is not God. God is God. And we need to keep our hearts in that right place. I was downtown recently and another person, you know, and, and God bless this person. I, I love this person to death. They told me how they've got friends who've just come back from there and all oh, some great things are starting to happen. There's a movement in the spirit. And I pray there is. I hope there is. And oh, we're just getting together and we're just praying. We're just waiting for revival. And I thought, that's wonderful. I hear your heart. I know what you're saying. You're just going to get together though. What's, what, you're going to get 120 tongues of fire and then we're just going to go back into the upper room and have a little prayer meeting and stay together. Or are we going to get out there amongst the people and take that message, that burning, that fire, that touch, whatever it would be from God that he gives to you and we take it out there and we look for opportunity to get that out there amongst a lost and a broken world. I have said it before and it's just more in my heart this week, the things I've been hearing. I fear the distractions, that we would just be wary that we don't get distracted away from what God gives us the power of, God, of the Holy Spirit for and that is to engage the lost and dying world. Please don't sit there and think you're an evangelist and that's just an evangelist speaking. If you don't believe me, read your Bible. This book was not written all by evangelists but it's telling the story. It's highlighting the important bits it's got nothing to do with gifting this morning. Yes, I have an evangelistic bent in me, but you know what? Take that away. The Word of God still says what it says. And that is that we need to take the power of God, seek the power of God, cry out to God for that fire upon our life. And when it comes, we take it out. We ask God for opportunities, the anointing to communicate Him in a language that the people out there will understand and that we don't get distracted. I'll finish with this little story I read. A man and his wife were awakened at three o'clock in the morning by a loud pounding on the door. The man gets up and goes to the door where a drunken stranger standing in the pouring rain is asking for a push. Not a chance, says the husband. It's three o'clock in the morning. He slams the door and returns to bed. Who was that? asks his wife. Just some drunk guy asking for a push, he answers. 
Did you help him? She says, no, I did not. It's three o'clock in the morning and it's pouring rain outside. His wife said, can't you remember about three months ago when we broke down and those two guys helped us? I think you should help him. Give him a push and you should be ashamed of yourself. The man does as he's told, of course. Gets dressed, goes out in the pouring rain. He calls out into the dark, hello, are you still there? Yes, comes back the answer. Do you still need a push, calls out the husband. Oh, yes, please, comes the reply from the dark. Where are you, says the husband. I'm over here on the swing, replies the drunk. If we're not careful, we can put a whole lot of time and energy into heading down a path and a direction that's going to take us somewhere that we don't need to be going. Time and energy that could be better spent on something with a bit more eternal value and purpose. Christy, I'll get you to come back. I want to do something a little bit different this morning. Evangelism, reaching out to people, is something that starts in here first. Okay? It's something that happens inside your own heart. And I believe it's something that God gives to you. You can go to a million seminars on missions and reaching the lost and so on. You can read the best books written by the best authors. You can get prayed for by the best of the best. You can watch their TV shows, read their reports, do whatever you want. Unless there's a fire that gets birthed in your heart for people, you won't do a lot to actively try to engage and to try to reach out. There's got to be a fire, a spark lit inside your heart. When I used to teach on evangelism um, on, on schools around Australia and New Zealand, I used to say to them at the start of the week, evangelism is caught, not taught. I can't teach you how to engage someone because I don't know those individuals, all these situations. But you know what? The Holy Spirit somehow knows how to empower you to give you a language that can reach those people. So I want to pray for us this morning. If you're here and you know you don't carry a passion for reaching the lost, that's okay. That's actually quite normal. It's quite normal. There's nothing unusual about it. Okay? But if I dumbed it down a little bit and asked you a question, think about someone that's really close to you that doesn't know Christ. Friend, a relative, someone. Somebody that you do have that heart connection with. Somebody that you do... And if we bring it down and make it a bit more personal, you know what? Deep down inside of you, you do have a heart, actually, to reach the lost. Just sometimes when we hear that phrase, we think about the whole world. Well, you know what? Let's be real. I walk past people every day and there's not one heartstring that gets tugged. Being honest. And I feel like I have an evangelistic gift. Sometimes I do it just out of pure obedience feel like God's saying I want you to engage that person so I'll engage that person but you know what there are certain people in my world where my heart burns if I think about them and I think about the direction of their life where they're going it fires me up on the inside I've got to use that passion start by just simply praying for that individual pray for that individual God whoever that person is Lord touch their life God you I don't know how to break into their world but you do do something to break into their world, Lord. Father, anoint me. Give me the skills, the keys to be able to communicate you to them in a language that they will understand. 
We pray for so many things in a week. Financial provision. I pray for God, would you help me have this? God, help me be good at this. Help me do this. Help me do How much time do we spend praying for those that don't know Christ? I don't want to go to a prayer meeting in a, in a town hall that's going to be praying all against this particular type of person. I'll come to that meeting, but I want to pray for that person. For them to have an encounter with Christ. For them to have the eyes of their heart opened and to meet with Jesus. Because if they meet with Jesus, then you have the capacity to change, to not be a drug addict, to break out of prostitution or whatever else it is that you're doing. But until you've come to him, Lord, I just pray for each of us right now. Father, the, 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 I, I'm smart enough to know, God, that emotion only carries us so far. We can get in an emotionally charged environment and, and, and think about that person and we can even sit here right now and, and, and God, our defences come down and Holy Spirit, you touch our hearts and we can engage on a level right now and pray for those people and lift them up to you and we do that, Lord. But God, I also know that when emotion is gone, when the emotion is gone, it comes back to us and you. Now, Holy Spirit, I want to pray right now. Just as you fell on the day of Pentecost, just as you came with tongues of fire upon 120 people, not just the 12 superstars, God. It's a fallacy. You came upon 120 people. You came upon men, upon women, upon children. Father, all backgrounds, all ages, you came upon them, God. You moved upon them. You sent fire. Whatever that means, however that works, God, I pray. Holy Spirit, come and empower us. Come and move upon our hearts. Come and challenge us and change us and shake us up, God. Father, give us a heart, I pray, for the lost. Give us a heart for those that don't know you, God. Open our eyes to understand what it's like for them, Lord. God, let us feel the heart of the Father for his children, even when they're not doing the right thing. Because, Father, you still love them. Your amazing grace is there for them as much as it is for us, Lord. But we can't reach them without the anointing of God. We can't reach them without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, fall upon us in whatever way you choose, for whatever purpose you desire. Spark a flame in our heart, Lord. We don't want to see. We want to be like Paul. He said, my heart's cry and prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. Father, let it be our heart's cry and prayer for Ganelabar, for Lismore, for Ballina, for New South Wales, for Australia. Let our hearts cry and prayer to God for those people be that they would be saved. It's your will that none should perish, but all would come to repentance, Father. God, stir us up, Father. Stir us up, we pray. In your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Well, there you go. It's a bit more than 10 minutes. I hope that's okay. Grab a tea or a coffee. Feel free to uh, talk to somebody you've never met before. You might meet your new best friend. You never know. Uh, I'm going to hang around up the front here this morning because I'd love to pray. If you have any needs this morning, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray. Uh, we believe in a healing God. We believe in a God that does miracles. We believe in a God that meets us where we're at. And we'd love to, to pray for you this morning. Otherwise, guys, have a fantastic week. 
uh, those of you that are going to come to the painting, uh, when we finish up here, we're going to head on over there and, and get cracking on that house and bless these guys. Other than that, have a great week. And if we don't see you before, we'll see you back here next Sunday morning. God bless.